in Christ, grace and peace be with you from Jesus, who asks, who do you say that I am? Amen. Dear church, opening confession for you, sometimes I am a Christian but. It's okay to snicker, it's okay. I don't mean this, really. <clears throat> but more like this. Confess that occasionally this is me. In his book, The Phoenix Affirmations, author Eric Elness tells the story of a member of his church, a young woman, who says to him often, I'm so tired of being a Christian but. And Elness asks, reasonably, okay, <laughs> do you want to tell me about that? What do you mean? And she says, I'm tired of always having to qualify the word Christian. I'm tired of always having to explain that I'm a Christian, but not that kind of Christian. Or to explain that I believe in God and Jesus, and I've actually thought hard about my belief, and I'm not just naively following something. Or when I go to church, or have a new church thing, and then I feel weird about it, and like I kind of have to apologize for going to it. I'm tired, she says. I'm tired of being a Christian, but... Have you ever felt this way before? Just me. Okay, not just me. It's <laughs> good. By a few people. Yeah. I have. I admit that. And I realize that coming from a pastor this morning, in which the gospel lesson might be boldly proclaiming that Jesus is the Christ, the one that is to make all things right, I admit that that could sound kind of unusual. The pivotal question in the story today from Jesus is this one, who asks, who do you say that I am? I asked the Sunday school kids or the children's message kids this, right? Who do you say that I am? I'm going to ask you this in a second. Think of the first word that comes to mind and then hang on to it. Bookmark that because we're going to come back to it in just a minute. At a first pass, the TLDR, the too long didn't read moral of the story today, if it was a six-sentence sermon, might be something like this. Jesus is Christ. Bold claim. Make it. Right? And that's not bad. It could work. Jesus asked the disciples first what other people are saying about him, and then he asked what you are saying about me, Jesus says. Peter fires off this really quite bold but strange message that he is the Messiah, the Christ, and Jesus says, Peter, my man, hashtag blessed. Have some authority, but be hush-hush about it. Keep it on the down low. The gospel of our Lord, thanks be to God. That's the story today, and the key question in that story, though, is the identity question about Jesus. Who is Jesus. But it's not some abstract hypothetical, though, because Jesus makes it personal. It's who is Jesus to you today. It's also an identity question about us, about you. Who is Jesus to you? And how you answer that has implications for who you are. And it's a question for pastors to answer, too. Hence my opening confession at the beginning of this, that sometimes I feel like a Christian but right? When I'm meeting somebody new for the first time, right, or in the rare occasion that I'm on an airplane these days, if the question comes up, what do you do? My brain hits kind of a Rolodex of possible answers to that question. Right? If you don't know what a Rolodex is, just imagine a randomizer app on your cell phone, same kind of thing, kind of. I might say to somebody in that regard, I am a public speaker. I specialize in interpreting ancient texts and ideas and applying them to contemporary life. Or I might say, I am a focus group coordinator. I facilitate discussions for groups of youth and adults to discern their individual or communal identities in the context of modern culture. 
And they go, whoa, that's super cool. And I say, yeah, it does, doesn't it? But as I consider answers like that, the kind of in my mind's eye, or maybe in reality, over just over their shoulders, see maybe the image of Jesus, arms crossed, some combination of disappointment and amusement on his face, maybe, with this question, who do you say that I am, Ben, in his eyes? When I do say to people, I'm a pastor, I can see that Rolodex fire back up in their minds, too, in their eyes. And this is where the urge to be a Christian but sometimes comes into play, because their response is very widely from what they say. Sometimes I say, I'm a pastor, and they go, oh. <laughs> and I say, yeah. <laughs> and sometimes they share with me where they go to church and their faith experience. Or often they tell me, this is most often, they tell me everything they have ever experienced or heard about in the church, and then everything that their partner or friends or family have ever experienced in the church, and then most often why they do not go to church, and then their reasons for that. I have noticed that people are generally more ready and eager to explain why they do not go to church or believe than those that do go. In other words, people that do go or believe in this stuff seem to be less interested in or less articulate or interested in articulating why they do go to church, why this matters to them. And I wonder in part if it's not because this question that Jesus asks today it's kind of tough. Who do you say that I am? So help me out, church. We're back at this question again. I told you it would be coming back to this point. Who do you say that Jesus is? Right or wrong answers only, which means anything goes. Who is Jesus to you? It's not rhetorical. Give me something to work with. My Savior. We got a lot of guests here for a baptism, so it must mean something to some of you if you want to be baptized today or if you're here to support that, right? What else you got? Love? Good? Anybody else? Live stream, I can't hear you, but you can shout at your computer screens and we'll see if it comes through. <laughs> Anything else? Savior? Love? A mentor? Yeah? Forgiveness? Jesus is forgiveness, yeah? Alpha and Omega, beginning and the end, and everything in between, yeah? You got to say it real loud. Promising? Good. Yeah, those are good things. Someone this morning said friend, right, savior. Those are all good things. And that exercise might be really easy for you, and if it is, that's, that's wonderful, and that's great. And I want to talk about what might make that easier to say or what, that, what about that is easy in a minute. But if you find that exercise difficult, I think that is maybe more normal. I think that's probably just fine. It might be even uncomfortable for you, I think. There's a seminary professor who wrote a commentary about the scripture passage this week on Working Preacher. He's a seminary professor, and he wrote about a conversation he had with a friend who wanted to come and visit him and said that he wanted to hear him preach on Sunday. His friend was Jewish, and uh, Professor Ward, Richard Ward is his name, Ward said, almost embarrassed, he said, well, I'm going to be preaching about Jesus this week. And his friend said, so? And Ward said, well, I don't, you're Jewish. I don't want you to be offended by this. And his friend said, why are my Christian friends, and more broadly, why are Christians so afraid of talking about Jesus? It's what makes you Christians. Christ does. And he's got a good point. The thing that keeps us distinct from other monotheistic religions, the big great face of the world, is Jesus Christ. Why is it hard to claim our Christ? 
Maybe one part is because so much has been said and thought and claimed and refuted and discussed and argued about regarding Jesus that it's hard to sift through some of these things. Maybe it's because whatever we do say usually includes big ideas or terms that need to be unpacked pretty significantly. Right? If Jesus is your friend, you mean like Facebook friend? Is that what you mean by Jesus? And if Jesus is your savior, then saving from what? And how does that exactly look? Or if you say Jesus is the word made flesh, like you, that's kind of weird. We have to unpack these things. It's not simple. Maybe it's difficult today to claim Christ because of the Christian but phenomenon, right? Christianity has a branding problem, maybe, associated on one end with nationalism and far-right politics and on the other end with a, some sort of moralistic socialism with a questionable track record on values everywhere in between. Or maybe it's because, according to research, like David Kinnaman's from the Barna Group, people view the church as overprotective, shallow, anti-science, repressive, exclusive, and doubtless. That's a lot of baggage there. And it's not a wonder with that that we can be hesitant to claim this religion. And it's reasonable that we might want some people to know something about us before we tell them what Jesus means to us. But I also wonder if maybe a big part of the hesitancy to claim this identity and Jesus is because we know at some high level that it has serious consequences for our lives. Sure, people will maybe not always know what to do with us or what we stand for or what kind of Christian we are. And we might indeed be a little weird to an increasingly secular world. But more so, I mean that following Jesus means that we cannot live lives ignorant to the world's suffering. We can't hear Jesus' words about wealth and not consider what we have and those that do not have. And we're also called to be captive to wonder about what God is still doing in the world. And we live in hope despite all the darkest valleys that the world has to offer, even death. And I think answering this question of who Jesus is can be difficult but it gets easier when we've come to terms with these consequences and own them. And I think it becomes easier when it becomes a common practice to talk about the experience of a living and active God in our lives. When Jesus asked, who do you say that I am, to the disciples and to you and me, I think the temptation right away is to say maybe who Jesus is not. So I will give in to that temptation, I guess. I'll get that ball rolling. Jesus is not a magic eight ball, or a wish-fulfilling genie, or a get-it-and-forget-it hellfire insurance policy. Right? That's not what we're issuing this morning at the font over here. Jesus is not one who rescues us from summer power outages for the sake of making sure that our pickup trucks can get in and out of our garage doors, or that our electric swimming pool covers can function adequately. Jesus isn't the one who delivers close-up parking spots or short lines so we can get our designer coffee more quickly. He's not the one who determines the outcomes of sporting events. Jesus is not one who forecasted the existence of the United States of America as the pinnacle of all nations and peoples. He's not one who declares that free market capitalism is the economic system that one out of one messiahs prefer or who tolerates massive gaps between rich and poor for the sake as a natural consequence of innovation and progress. Nor is he insistent that governments and empires assume all the responsibility for caretaking for their people. Jesus is not white. He's not anti-science or fired up about an LGBTQ agenda, except for insisting that we love one another as he loved us and the whole world, for that matter. 
And he also wasn't big on wide open, you just do whatever works for you spirituality. We also painfully know that Jesus is not a shield for us, for our kids or our parents or our friends. Jesus is not a barrier from the world that protects us from anything and everything that could ever happen in life. He himself died on a cross after all. But claiming that Jesus is all of those things you said, mentor, faith, promises, forgiveness, Savior, claiming that Jesus is the resurrected Christ, the one, the Word of God made flesh and the giver of the Holy Spirit, confessing that means that we claim that Jesus is active and alive and still as the resurrected Christ moving and ministering in the world. In the stories of his day, who Jesus is, looks like that. He is the one who met the Canaanite woman last week. He was challenged by her and learned to expand his mission and ministry outside of his assumptions of who was in and out of his kingdom. Jesus is the one who has compassion for people and feeds people and gets people to share and not hoard stuff. There is no reason you need to bring food on the fourth stuff here, but you keep doing it. Jesus is the one who met a woman at the well, a woman whose life turned out to be nothing like she wanted it to be or hoped for it to be, and he showed her new life through that. And Jesus is the one who rose from the dead. And today, Jesus is still active and moving and ministering and offering new life. And I think claiming this Jesus looks like sharing our stories and our experiences of Jesus doing so in our lives. Dr. Andy Root from Luther Seminary explores this in some of his work. He took some time and set up 12 interviews, a dozen people, interviewed them from mainline Protestant Christian denominations, people from two Lutheran churches and one Protestant church. He interviewed them and asked them a series of questions. Right? One of those questions was, have you ever felt like you have been spoken to by God? And another question is, have, have you ever felt as though you've had an encounter with the living God? And all 12 said, yes. Now, all of them added a Christian but statement to it, right? They said, yeah, but it was weird. <laughs> or, that's kind of crazy, and I'm not sure that I trust that even when I say it. When other people say something like that, I'm super skeptical of them, and I go, oh, yeah, right. But it happened to me this one time. All of them had this experience, and none of them ever told anybody about it. Dr. Root finishes a lecture about this research by talking about one woman's story, he tells one woman's story. A 30-some-year-old woman he calls Rachel. She's a single mother of two. And she shared a story about the time that she felt that she knew that Jesus was real and she experienced his presence. And she told the story of how she became a single mother. And she said that four years prior, her, kids, her two kids were a toddler and elementary age. Her husband went on a business trip from Seattle to Chicago. He was supposed to be gone for a couple of days, I suppose. And 13 hours into the trip, the first morning that he was gone, Rachel got a phone call from the hotel, from a really nervous, awkward young man from the hotel desk in Chicago that her husband had been staying at. He told her staggeringly and with difficulty, that that morning the cleaning staff had gone into her husband's room and they found him. 
or rather found his body. And the man told her that her husband was dead. And on the phone back in Seattle, Rachel thought her life was over. Everything she had hoped it would be suddenly changed. The hotel on the phone still gave her the address of the morgue so she could come and identify her husband's body. And then she hung up and then called her mom to come and watch her children. And then she left for Chicago. She got off the plane, got the first taxi cab that was there, gave the cab driver the address of the morgue, and she went totally in shock and in grief the entire time. When they arrived, the cab stopped and parked in the lot, let her out. The staff at the morgue were expecting her. They brought her to the back, to the gurney where the body lay, and as they pulled back the covering and she saw her husband's body, she broke down and just wept. And then from behind her, Rachel felt a gentle hand on her shoulder. And she looked down and she saw an arm reaching to her front, holding a water bottle out to her. And it was the cab driver. He had known when he saw the address where she was going and what was happening. And so he quietly had followed her into the morgue behind her. Rachel said, in reflecting in that moment, and then later on in the flight home, she knew that her life would never be the same, that it was turned upside down and wrecked. But she said she also knew or felt in that moment that she had never been more ministered to. And somehow she knew that Jesus Christ would never leave her and that he would see her through. Who do you say that I am, church? Have you known the living Christ? Do you have a story in which you can name and claim Christ. Jesus is the one who bears the unbearable with us, who doesn't intend for bad things, but who shows up and is deeply involved in the midst of them. Jesus is the one who works for life and purpose, is the one who will see us through, even through death, and even into joy and new life. Who do you say that Jesus is? Tell somebody. No buts about it. Amen. Thanks for listening. You can find out more about Farmington Lutheran Church, its ministries, and how to connect to this part of the body of Christ by going to farmingtonlutheran.com. Peace be with you.